Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new edition of Pod by the Bay. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Join alongside me, as always, Seth Barnador, Robert Stieg, and Anthony Vito, our producers, popping in uh, to hang out for a little bit as we preview an actual football game and discuss depth charts and all of the things in between as USF football takes on Western Kentucky on Saturday at 3.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Fellas, let's dive right in. We've got a bunch to, to cover. Um, game we'll week, game week, game week, game week. We finally made it. It's been a long time since well, thanks, Thanksgiving. Was the game on Thanksgiving this year? I can't remember. Or the Saturday? Whatever. Yeah. At some point around Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving uh, It's been a very, very long time since we've seen USF play a football game. Some would say like five years, but uh, others are nicer, I guess. Um, the Bulls released their depth chart on Tuesday um, ahead of the, the game. Um, by my count, I think it's 29 oars. 30. I miscounted on it when I first did it. There's 30. 30, 30 of them things. A lot of oars. Bring your canoes, ladies and gentlemen. We got oars for everyone. Um, seemingly the only positions that have been locked up are RJ Perry at right tackle, um, Donovan Jennings at left tackle, Sean Atkins in the slot, because of course. Um, uh, Jalen Schuler as a linebacker. That's there's that one. Uh, Maris Brown at corner, and Ben Knox is the other corner, and of course Andrew Stokes at punter. Ryan Boldick is going to be the holder, and then it's just a whole mess of oars. So even your long snapper is an oar. <laughs> I mean, good gracious. Um. Obviously, let's get into the thing that everybody cares about, uh, the long snapper, as Seth alluded to. Um, so we've got Bryce Bernard versus Trey Dubik, who was a five-star long snapper coming out of high school. I'm kidding. It's quarterback. Of course, it's always quarterback. We've got Gary Bohannon, Bryce Ar- Gary Bohannon, or Bryce Archie, or Byron Brown, or Izzy Carter. Um <clears throat> They're listed in class order where none of the others are really listed in class order, except for long snapper. That's the connection folks. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't read too much into the ordering of the quarterbacks. That's just my general thought there. Do do you think that was intentional in class order or that just kind of how it worked out? Well, Head coach Alex Golish allegedly said on Tuesday to an intrepid reporter who asked about it that, uh, huh, I didn't really notice that. I wasn't really thinking about it. Seth, as a former coach, you are always thinking about these things. This is absolutely intentional. Yeah. Like, what's the best way to order it to me? Like, that's the first thing I saw. It was like, oh, that's probably class order. Just because you put your older guys on top, younger guys at the bottom. Looks like the older guys, you know, he's earned the, Right to be on top should be in there a little bit longer. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything, uh, and we'll find out Saturday. I think that that order is possibly different. Um, and then at a lot of positions, there's a lot of. I think the most important thing 
is it doesn't really matter besides um, probably quarterback start who starts the game. Who's the first guy on the field for the first play doesn't really matter all that much. By the time we get to the end of the game and we, we have snap counts and then going to the next week, I think you'll see less oars, but initially there's going to be a ton of them as, as we've said. So, um, however, they decided to arrange them, you know, some spots it may be guys over here, and then transfers next, you know, maybe give those guys some seniority a little bit more. Right. Um, and then in other spots, you know, it's between two transfers, so it doesn't really matter. Like, if you look at um, the defense, I think um, corner with a Marsh Brown is the only transfer. I guess if you look at all the oars, there's not a transfer at the top of the oars that's over a guy that's been here already. So if you look at the backer, Jason Vaughn has been here. He's the top guy on the list, or Lloyd Summer, or, or DJ Harris. Tramel Logan's been here. He's or he's over top guy list over or Jonathan Ross. Linebacker, they're all transfers. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And there's no or designation for Jalen Schuler, who's a transfer. Uh, Maris Brown's a transfer, but there's no or designation. Logan Bear Hill and Jaden Curry are both over Matthew Hill, who's still listed as a transfer. Technically was one, um, not a new one. And then Jalen Stokes is over Will Jones or. So it's uh, that could be part of it too. So maybe it's not all class-based, but it could be guys there have been here, been part of the program for longer than just the spring. They're going to give that designation to our guys that started their career here. They'll, they'll put them at the top and we'll see how it changes when the actual game is played. So. Can I uh, can I can I say something without uh, without without sounding too spicy here? Sure. Does it really matter? Does it does it like truly like matter who's listed first, second, third, fourth? I mean, I know it's big speculation, <coughs> and everyone wants to know everything. But like listening to what Golish and and you all had kind of typed and and, and told us about in the uh, press conference, it, it doesn't sound like it mattered too much who was first, second, third, fourth, or anything like that. It's part gamesmanship, part necessary, you know, to, to have at least somewhat of a competitive advantage for maybe one drive against Western Kentucky. And then it's just not going to matter after that. But, you know, it sounds like at least that he wanted to at least catch Western Kentucky by a little bit of a surprise on that first drive. And then after that, it's not going to matter, especially the rest of the season. Cause you'll, you'll know who the starters are going forward after this, but maybe if you catch them off guard off the first drive, you know, what's the harm in that kind of thing? Like, it, yeah, it's gamesmanship, but like we look around the country and like Nick Saban didn't release a depth chart. Western Kentucky didn't release a depth chart. They just have available starters. You know, uh, this is like a new trend now where half these coaches aren't releasing depth charts. Half of them are putting oars basically by everyone's name. And then the other half are like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, And ultimately it doesn't after the first drive, they're going to adjust. They're going to change things around. They're all smart cookies. They are all smart cookies. Steeg, I would say it matters a ton because we have to have something to talk about and people need to be outraged by something. (laughs) uh, Byron Brown is third in the or lineman. I am outraged. Uh, I'm kidding. I think you're right. I always thought these were pretty silly and I wasn't sure if there was some sort of conference rule that specifies it. Um, 
same with injuries, right? The injuries are always not necessarily reported. The Big Ten might actually change that this year. Um, say hi to Stella, everybody. Um, so, yeah, it's fun to talk about and take a look at, but I'm sure it doesn't really really matter in the grand scheme of things. Everything could be completely right. different on sun, on Saturday and then c- completely different against FAMU. But it does give us something to talk about, which is nice. And Golish even kind of mentioned that he thought what Western Kentucky put out, which was basically just here's a list of players in no particular order. He, he seemed almost envious of that. Like, yeah, that's pretty smart. So I think he, if he could, they would have just given, you know, done the old uh, above the line, below the line, Jeff Collins. Um, but it seems like they wanted to put something out. And it's smart. Um, I, for a 1-11 team, you need things for other people to talk about. Uh, I saw uh, you know, Barrett Sally on Tuesday, you know, Paul Richie and said that impressive use of the word or on USF's depth chart. Like that's, that's one way to get some, you know, national pub is do something a little unique. Um, I think if you guys are in the Ponderosa, you, at least offensively, um, I think I, I drilled, um, 10 of 11. Um, Oh, I guess that's what we're going on. Yeah, 10 of 11. 10, 10 of 11 guys that I saw with my own eyes. Um, first team reps were the were listed as starter. Um, it just it makes sense um, for it. We still, you know, we still have the Seth Jones kind of question. We were not really sure where he's at. Um, after his injury a couple of weeks ago. So he's not listed anywhere. I think Naeem Simmons has probably come on and he's one of the most talked about receivers uh, out of that room. Golov said on Tuesday that they're a lot healthier than they were, that this past week has been very important for that group. Um, I don't think you'll see uh, Derek, Derek Bowman's been kind of nursing an injury. Um, So Andrew, Kilfoyle. Um, the left side of the line, they've kind of talked about the Gaither boys being the left side of the line. I don't think they're going to be changing that anytime soon. Mike Lofton's clearly the starter. Um, so the or Cole Best is just that. Um, Zane's still starting, uh, starting right right guard. He was he had a nagging injury as well, um, but he should be fine. And then RJ Perry clearly solidified his right tackle position. I know in the spring he was kind of flipped at left tackle and Donovan was inside and I think they settled on this being it. Golish said on Tuesday, Daryl Bailey's kind of pushed both of them. Um, I think he's the guy. And you know, we kind of discussed Seth the in the lead up to, I guess, this depth chart release. Uh, Golish wanted, you know, eight, nine, ideally 10 offensive linemen. And he kind of named seven or eight. And there was still that one random one that we, that people were trying to figure out. I think it's Nikola uh, Milovic. He's uh, one of the only true freshmen on the two deep outside of Izzy Carter. Like it's it's your your stud uh, your stud offensive recruits from this past season. Izzy Carter, Jaquan Smith, uh, Nikola Milovic as uh, some of the, the true freshmen, uh, and then Tyree Kelly, who had a who's had by all accounts a phenomenal camp. But he's not nor he is a for sure backup to uh, Choffrey Brown and Michael Brown Stevens as um, one of the outside wide receivers. So. Throw your hands up in the air, but it's it's fun. It's it's good fodder. And he's a, that's a guy. Um, 
That's the guy that Golish has talked about a lot in camp. He didn't mention him the other day when he talked about his eight or nine, but Nikola is a guy that he's mentioned quite a few times as having a good camp. Um, I believe he's a Clearwater Academy kid, right? Mm-hmm. Or Clearwater International, whatever the, the yeah. whatever the CAI, CIA, whatever. Uh, he, I think he's from there, so he's he's a guy that comes from a pretty good program. Uh, he's got the size, so he's able to kind of slot in there. Um, it seems like both those tackles, neither of them have the or designation. Um, they're both pretty solidified. It seems like uh, not just because they don't have the designation, but but Golish kind of said that they were really happy with Jennings having him back healthy. Um, he's a guy they think can play inside too if they need him to. So that's something to watch for in the future. If if there's some injuries and they need to move guys around, they just know he's one of their best five. And then RJ Perry is transferred from Tennessee. Golish thinks he's really taking a big step and, and it's kind of is feels like he's the man. Perry feels like he's kind of the man there at that right tackle spot and he's playing like it. So always good to have kind of your bookends. And then you've got some good depth inside. So they should uh they should kind of be able to put together a pretty good group, it feels like. And we'll see if yeah. you know health obviously health is big, but they've got it looks like they've got kind of close to 10 that they feel pretty good about, which is what you, where you want to be. You want to be at 10. Yeah. Um, I think on the offensive side of the ball, there's really no surprises, right? Like all, I think all four running backs are going, are going to play. I think you'll see probably the first three, Kelly Joyner, Naquan Wright, and, and Mikey Dukes, probably a little bit more than K1 Powell. Uh, Kohler said on Tuesday that, you know, in the spring, he talked to K1 and said, man, you're so lost in this offense. We got to figure it out. And he said, if you, if you were asking for the most improved player, it'd be K1 Powell from spring to now, um, which is a fantastic step in the right direction for him. Cause he's a big, like he's, he's five nine, but he plays a lot bigger than, than what he kind of looks like, um, which is kind of ideal. I know Naquan's 5'9", 204. He's kind of in the same mold as him. Um, defensively, so I was kind of surprised with the or designation for Rashad Cheney Jr. Uh, battling out with Bernard Gooden at the at the tackle spot. I kind of figured Rashad was just the guy, and it could be just one of those or situations, but um, – as a guy who's been established, like like Dono and, and RJ, I, 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 at least I figured, yeah, it's it's Cheney as the as the starting tackle here, no question. I did have a one one thing to note on the defensive side of the ball. Um, looking at pretty much that that front seven, um, more particularly if you look at the uh, the F backers, you have Andrew Mataafa and DJ Harris there, and both of them are also backups at other positions. So Andrew Mataafa is an or designation at linebacker behind DJ Gordon mixed with Jamie Petway. And then DJ Harris is an or on that B backer as well. So you're kind of like, that's where I think we might see a big wrinkle in the game is how the right. front seven lines up. Because I, I think there's an or by every single one, except for Jacquez mm-hmm. Williams. So I think pretty much what we might see against Western Kentucky is some combination of those linebackers, defensive ends, edge players, and tackles, depending on how Western Kentucky is giving that formation, because that back four to five uh, corners and defensive backs and safeties is going to be more crucial. You know, they're going to want to disrupt and cause some havoc for Austin Reed and show him multiple things. 
So I think coming at that with multiple fronts, whether it's a three-man front, a four-man front, I mean, at this point, it looks like they could even put up a five-man front, depending on how they want to do things. You might get a lot of multiple looks out of Todd Orlando's defense here. Um, I, I think you're going to see guys bounce around on that on that line. You know, they they're going to have a lot of questions on who's able to do this and who's able to do that. And, you know, they, they can't just go off of, Oh, Jason Bond is on the, the, the boundary side. You know, that's, that's where his position is going to be. He might bounce from, from left to right. The nose might, you know, a gap or B gap, the, the tackle might line up straight up against the uh, center or take one of the gaps. You know, I think, I think that's going to be more interesting to watch than anything else. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're not going to line up in what they've got on the depth chart. They're not running right. this this, uh, this grouping. So, you know, uh, I'll throw it up there. They've got a 3-4 defense up there with two outside backers. They're not <laughs> – based on everything I've seen, they're not putting Andrew Mata off out over a slot receiver. I don't um, – I don't. Especially against this offense. Yes. Western Kentucky is <laughs> going to be probably, um, you know, a lot of – if not – mostly 11 they're probably mostly 10 personnel so i'd guess a lot of four receiver sets a lot of spread right. sets like you're not going to put one of these big linebackers out over a slot they're going to play five at least five dbs um so i'd expect you know possibly one of the guys listed at safety to be a nickel or one of the second corners to be the nickel yeah Jaden curry might be a guy right as you nickel. mentioned that I think it could be, you know, Logan Berryhill and then Matthew Hill kind of playing safety spot and, and Jaden Curry playing that nickel um, slot when they go. Because this is, I mean, this is essentially basically tight front kind of setup what they have going on, right? Like that, like that, that's goalish. Yeah, about this it. looks like a, this is a 3-4 look with two outside backers. And I think like the field outside backer being um to me i and i haven't watched a ton of them but in my mind mata Afa is a thicker bigger guy um just based on kind of what how they were at utah they weren't like crazy explosive at linebackers so to me he's probably a better in the box guy so to have him listed out there we saw it in practice they'd play three guy three linemen down pretty tight inside the tackles in the tight front and then you'd have two outside overhangs which can be backers uh one can be a you know a, a nickel it, it kind of depends but it's it's a, it's more of a 3-4 look you can get away more with a 3-4 look um but i just to me uh you can't run that we can't have four linebackers on the field against Western Kentucky. No, that's a recipe for disaster for sure. Um, it, I mean, outside of that, I mean, I don't really, there's nothing clearing. I think Braxton Clark is still going to see the field quite a bit. Um, they love him. And at 6'4", 196, there's good reason um, to, to really like what he can do. Uh, I, but outside of that, I mean, nothing really surprised me. I, there was always the safety question. I think that was probably the the two spots that I was most intrigued or um, concerned about. I guess concerns not. I mean, concern. I'm concerned about the entire defense. But the couple of positions I didn't really have the most clarity on as we uh, kind of geared toward Saturday. So there you have it. 
There is one thing that's interesting. 140 transfers. I mean, I know that's everyone who's transferred in, but that's, it seems like a glaring amount. And I get you had a couple, you know, it's a one win team from last year, but 40 transfers. That is a lot of transfers Uh, because of that. You don't see a lot of underclassmen, but on the defensive side, there's only one sophomore that I see two sophomores that I see that are on the entire defensive depth chart. That is interesting. So you have a lot of transfers, grad transfers, seniors, upperclassmen. So just an interesting takeaway, just looking at the classes. Yeah, it's, it's a very also, senior and upperclassman hope. <laughs> like, really? Where? I'm just, I'm looking, I mean, at like skill positions and saying, like, I know they're going to be shifting fast and that's the whole point of the offense, but like, I mean, Tyree Kelly's, Tyree Kelly and Yusuf Terry are six foot three, and then there's no one taller than six foot across running back or wide receivers. I mean, I know they're they're waiting, they're they're using that for uh, you know tight ends and the skill, but like all three of the tight ends are six four, two hundred and forty pounds. I think there's a few glaring mistakes on this depth chart. I mean, Jalen Hyatt's only six foot, man. So you don't have to be tall to be good at this. Uh... Yeah. Don't get into that. That it held oh, too no. small to play at USF. No, let's not. Let's not get into They they hit their uh, their kneecap and they knee jerk reaction. Uh, Naeem Simmons and Michael Brown Stevens switch numbers, and then Jaquan Smith is wearing eighty. So I think that's cool. Yeah, the, the we finally got confirmation of the number switch that sent us into a tizzy earlier in the weekend. I think. It's hard to figure out. It really was. So yeah, that uh, I'm just super excited to finally see it line up. Um, it'll be really fun to actually see football again and be able to see what this all looks like. Um, at least initially. And, yeah, well, and then we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it's not a uh, <laughs> Austin Reed handoff to his running back run for a <laughs> touchdown on the first play of the game. Watch the Jets sweep, boys. <laughs> Any? Did you guys think the returners were interesting? I I thought no no like no Jaquan Smith back there was interesting a kick return. Uh, Joiner and Duke, I, the two running backs back there. I feel like it's more the the thing that surprised me was uh, Matt Hill as a punt returner. That's true. He's the uh, he's he's third of the oars, but yeah, Sean Atkins or Naeem Simmons or Matthew Hill. So. I would really enjoy a Matt Hill resurgence. Would be would be a really nice story um, <laughs> for the poor guy that's had, you know, a lot of. Uh, seems like a lot of the de- defensive issues have been uh, basically come. If you're on Twitter, they all come down to him, and he's the one that's getting all the heat for how bad the defense has been. Uh, it, it would be it would be nice to see a little Matt Hill resurgence here. He's got, I think, he's got the. F- physical tools to do it uh, maybe with the a new coach and now more experience at the position maybe he can have a good year that would be nice to see we might legitimately see if it was truly coaching the entire time that made the defense uh it, put the defense in bad situations let's say but uh that would be great i mean you never know you do a change of pace and i would love a maybe. defensive resurgence you know, that would be cool. Not just a Matt Hill resurgence, but a, uh, you know, everyone on defense plays better. That'd be novel. So be cool. question, question for you. Um, 
I was listening to a podcast the other day on the way home from work and they were, they were talking about how coaching can change, you know, three, four, maybe five games. Uh, and the example they gave was uh, Urban Meyer with the Jags, right? Like you get Urban out, you get like a halfway competent coach in Doug Peterson and it changes the entire landscape of the, the team. It, do we think Jeff Scott was that bad that he that Alex Golish just showing a pulse can improve this team's win total by like four or five games? Seth or eight, I'll and I'll tell you in a in, in five weeks. How about that? <laughs> I mean, I watched the Jags resurgence, you know, in real time and everything. Um, but I, I I do think that there's a lot more that you can put into coaching than anything else. I mean, they, they talked about it in a, a few different instances that a lot of, uh, I remember the uh, Duke's head coach last year, you know, turned that team into a nine win team that was very well or very poorly coached previously. And just, you know, with competent coaching, you can do a lot more. It's, I mean, it's a real thing. It's a, it's a team sport for a reason. It's not just bringing a bunch of individuals into uh you know, making them play better. You need it else top and how that goes down there. Yeah, it can help. It can only do so much. So like the other urban was obviously a disaster in the NFL. I think that was like more like style, like personal personality. Like if you watch, even if you watch the Swamp Kings thing as a puff piece, you could see like the type of program he likes to run is not one for pros. Like, there's pros aren't going to respond to that. And they didn't. And the other context is like, yeah, they had a rookie quarterback too, that his second year got a lot better, but like, I think the coaching was a lot better, but guys also improve. So there's that. But if they had, you know, a terrible quarterback, would they have proved, would they have improved a ton under Doug Peterson? Like, I think it's coaching is important, especially in close games, those kind of decisions, um, timeout usage. He talked, goalish talked about that today when you asked him about the new clock rules. They thought timeout usage was important. You had to be a lot more, uh, you know, cognizant of how you're using them with the way the clock is moving so much faster now. Um, or I guess not faster, but, you know, more often. So um, I think it can be important there, but it's still going to come down to do you have the players to make the plays? Because I can put you in perfect position, but if you can't make the tackle, so what? Like, it <laughs> doesn't matter how well I coach you. If like Stieg, did your coach put you in a perfect position to tackle Derrick Henry? Did it matter? Seth, I was playing defensive tackle that game. No. Did it matter um, if your I coach mean, called the perfect blitz? There were there's nothing that we could have done to stop Derrick Henry. Like that's a talent thing. Like that like when we had well, that conversation like, a couple weeks against Bama, that's one thing. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's at like certain, at a, certain yeah. points, you can only you can only do so much as a coach. I can lead you to water, I can't make you drink, right? The guys have to make the plays. Yeah. If they're in good positions and they can't make the plays, that's a player issue. Um, but I, yeah, I think it can help in like the close game stuff, right? Like the like the offense was really good last year. The offense was really well coached last year. So I don't know if that's going to like fly up. You know, offense is going to get a lot better. But defensively, maybe they can be in the right position a lot more. The communication can be a lot better, right. a lot cleaner. That kind of stuff can get better. But at, at the end of the day, if it's a one on one. Has anyone asked Coach Golish if he's played NCAA 2014? No, I nearly asked him if he had been like practicing Madden, but I, I figured I'll wait. 
And I'll wait until it gets, if we see something, you know, if I say, you know, if I see something, I'll say something kind of thing. <laughs> That's another thing. I have a hypothetical as we get into hypotheticals. Um, so let's say it's a close game and it turns out that clock management, time management or something of the sort ends up make, uh, ends up losing the game Would that. Um, how would you feel in that instance? Would it be, oh, hey, look, they played really, really well against this. Just need to fix this up. Or is it a, oh boy, here we go again. Yeah, I think it's uh, first year coach, right? You give him a little leeway. And, and then you can kind of see how he talks about it too after the game, how he responds. If he's, you know, cognizant of messing up, then then maybe you can give him a little more leeway. But I, yeah, I don't it's you know sometimes it takes some experience but the problem was you know i saw some with the hurricane i saw some a few people talking about the ecu usf game at fau um i remember watching that game with my dad and they usf was trying to mount a comeback wouldn't take time out it was was just like not hurrying at all and my dad is like what is this guy doing is he trying to get fired and i'm like it was the uh, year three (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the eight minute uh yeah. touchdown drive, right? No, yeah. no. My dad was just kept going, is this guy trying to get fired? And he's <laughs> he, he had two sons that coached, so he's not a, a fire the coach guy. So <laughs> yeah, like but that was year three. I think year one, if it's a little rocky, hopefully he can learn, but uh as long as it doesn't linger. And we found out he has a get back coach. Yeah. So that'll be fun. He said he's, nice. he's, he's excited about being on the sideline, but um, a, little, a little nervous. Uh, it's been a couple of years, and the first time as the head man, um, and I'm kind of assuming he's going to be calling plays as well. I, I, let's not get too crazy. Um, but with that, I think that's it for this edition of Pod by the Bay. We're going to have an in-depth preview of Western Kentucky. Um, on for the Patreon for for the Ponderosa, um, that'll that'll go up uh, at some point this week. And then um, Vito, thanks for reminding me. We gotta make picks. Oh my gosh, two back to two kids, <laughs> yeah, two kids and one cat on the stream, yeah. and Steve with his video off. Just incredible. All right, look at us. Hi. All right, now leave. Hi. <laughs> Close the door. <laughs> Turn on Bluey. Oh, Oh, I wish we were watching Bluey. All right. Bluey never disappoints. Um, So the line is 11 and a half. What's your talk about 11 and a half? Uh, Seth, um, you know, on the Black Boy Roundtable, we kind of picked this. Are you going to stick with your pick or are you you changing um, from, from your pick there? Well, you know, I did see, I think it was in the athletics, Steve, right? That somebody said this is a game you need to stay away from because you don't know exactly what you're going to get from USF here with a new coach. They think Vegas isn't quite caught up to USF yet. Um, so, you know, for that reason, I'm going to stay with my Western Kentucky pick. I just don't, I, I've got to see the defense. I think you can play well and not cover. Um, so let's go with that. Goal seems to think these are two evenly matched teams. It's going to be kind of a back and forth game is what he called it today. So I'll be interested to see if they can touch that over at 70. Right. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Western Kentucky to cover. Um, like I think the motto for the season is right. We've got to see it. You're bad. So you're not right. So yes, sir. I think 
Western Kentucky will cover the 11 and a half. Steve. I go with the same pick I gave uh, to our guys at the uh, the towel rack. Talked with uh, Fletcher over there about it. Um, I had it at 45-28. I think this game happens in year two. Uh, 45-28, Western Kentucky win. Um, I think if this game happens in year two, it might be a little closer. USF might be able to spring an upset maybe. Um, but I think year one under a new regime with uh, a lot of question marks and a lot of uncertainty here and there, at least on our perspective, uh, I'm sure Goalish is not very uncertain about things. Um, I, I just, I can't see it. Um, I think there's going to be a few growing pains here and there, but everything that's natural in a, in a coach for year one more than anything. Fido. You know, SP Plus has it as a 10-point game. Uh, USF covering Western Kentucky still winning and holding them under 40, which I think would be a huge win um, for some momentum. Um, you're right. You don't know what you're going to get with this team, but I, I, until we see it, I got to I, I gotta think that Austin Reed's still going to cook. He's still an NFL prospect and one of the best passers in the uh, country. Coordinators be darn. I will say I do think it hits the over after thinking about it last night. Um, something in the 42-30 range sounds about right to me. Uh, but I do think they will cover and uh, it will hit the over. I, I, ho- I think we get excited about the offense in some regard, though. Fair. Um, Western Kentucky is going to win 49-21. For just... Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't trust this defense to stop a guy through for 40, almost 4,700 yards and, uh, growing pains on a new offense. Um, yeah, I don't see it. And with that upbeat note, <laughs> be sure to uh, check out the Ponderosa. Be sure to check out the discord, um, sign up, join it. Uh, there's three tiers. You can get in as low as five bucks, as high as 25 a month. Um, I'll say it here live on this podcast. Uh, if you're in the $25 a month club, you already know who the starting quarterback is. I'll say it. Boom. There you go. What? Join. Oh my God. The Discord. Join the Ponderosa. And that was thrown out last week. A week ago. Yeah. Let's go. Put the stamp on it. Let's go. Go, go Bulls. Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. <laughs>